Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. What's up? Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank, online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. If you are in North Mississippi, They've been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. Glad to have you along today. Uh, you know, I, I thought as I just sat and watched that game last night, I am glad that I encouraged you with such a great amount of confidence to, uh, to take, um, the, uh, the underdog. Louisville. Louisville. And uh, and take the points. I mean, there was never a doubt, never a question in my mind that that was the right play yesterday for your Pearl River Resort pick of the day. That's why I endorsed it so heartily, right? Isn't that how it went yesterday? Borky? Winners are winners, if you ask me. Winners are winners. I like it. Michael, how are you on a Tuesday? Doing well. Uh, it's kind of weird. I don't know what to do with my hands now. We've had football for five straight days, and now we've got to wait two more to get it back again. Well, it's a good thing you don't have anything to do with your hands since they're all skinned up from tripping while yeah, you're Yeah, literally, I can't right? do anything with my hands, so it, it kind of works. Nice. Are, they, are they still wrapped in gauze and bandaged up? Uh, one is. The other one's not as bad, but yeah, I've got, you know, it, it looks like I like touched a grill or something. I've just got them all wrapped up. Jeez. Hey, Dad, so what's stupid. up? Not a lot today. Not a lot. My mouth hurts. I went to the dentist today. So if we could just sort of keep me to yes or no questions, I would be uh, appreciative. Nope, sorry. That's not going to work. Grippy's already got the market covered on that. Dang it. <laughs> what procedure did you have done at the dentist today? I, I had, a, had a filling put in today. There you go. So. And it's still numb? No, it's not numb. It just hurts now. Really? Yeah. There's some, yeah. there's some residual pain. I got you. Shaking, Rippy. Not a whole lot. <clears throat> I think I caught whatever Haydad caught last week because I woke up feeling pretty rough today. You do. You kind of sound terrible, too. Yeah, I feel worse. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you feel worse than you sound? Yes. Yeah, well, you must feel terrible then. I do. I'm kidding. Hey, I'm, I'm curious. We talk about, like, random sporting events that we would like to go to at some point. Does the U.S. Open tennis tournament in New York that happens this time every year do anything for you at all? Any interest at all in going to a U.S. Open match at some point? That that would be fun, I think. You know, I don't know. I would want to go now, where guys like Federer and Nadal are still playing names I know, because once those two guys retire, 
I, I don't know any of the new up and comers. Now I'm sure they'll they'll make their name eventually, but right now, yeah. If you told me that we could go up there and watch a Federer and Nadal match, I would totally be in for that. So, so you would be up for tonight in the uh, the women's quarters. You've got Serena playing in the early match, and in the men's quarters, Nadal or uh, excuse me, uh, Federer plays later tonight. Would would be in for that? Yes. Yeah, Borky, does that do anything for you at all? Uh, no, I actually got frustrated with it this weekend because I had to scroll past a bunch of U.S. Open streams to find the college football games I wanted. Hmm. On the Watch ESPN app? Yeah. There were a lot of options for watching tennis. Rippy, would you be up for that? Uh, I mean, if someone was like, here's a free plane ticket, here's a free ticket, here's some free booze, maybe. Yeah, I don't think there's a lot of free that goes along with this event. If it wasn't the opening weekend of college football, if it was last weekend, I would be like, yeah, sure, why not? But sitting there watching tennis knowing that I'm missing football would make it less enjoyable for me. So Arthur Ashe Stadium, which now has a retractable roof, so if it rains they can just close the roof, is about the same size as Rupp Arena. Seats 23,000 and change. And if you want to sit in the upper promenade, or promenade if you prefer, courtside, so if we were equating the tennis court to a football field on about the 20-yard line, but in the upper, upper, upper deck, 150 bucks to get in the door tonight. Best seats available, courtside baseline. So kind of sitting in the end zone, 2,500 bucks, 3,500 bucks, 1,600 bucks, 1,400, three grand. Holy cow. You got a bad want to go watch tennis for that, don't you? Or just have the kind of money where three grand is nothing to you. Yeah, I guess that's fair also. New, there's a lot things. of that in New York. <laughs> that is that is a true statement. Glad to have you along this afternoon. You can hit us up on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. C Spire customer inspired love for you to text the show you can also send us a tweet at sports talk m-i-s-s what have we got coming up for you this afternoon a little bit of mike leach borky i'm uh angry is not the word i probably should say i am slightly more educated as a result of you i was uh well that's every day but okay well yeah some days more than others i was reading through the rundown that you so painstakingly put together on a daily basis and do a phenomenal job with. And I come across this. Weekly Mike Leach is back. And that automatically caused me to perk up. And then you say, here are his thoughts on the people that want to try to storm Area 51 and also his thoughts on the Burning Man Festival. And this sent me down the rabbit hole of reading more about the Burning Man Festival. I like knew loosely what it was, but when you start digging into that, that is a um, that's an odd event. Makes you wonder how you can possibly share the same planet with those people. Yes, on some levels, but at the same time, you got like a lot of highly successful, seemingly normal people who just check reality at the door for a week at the end of July to go 
and try and live basically off the earth and do whatever their free spirit wants them to do for a week and then like go back to normal. The pictures look like Mad Max Fury Road. I know some people like that. They, I, uh, that have been to Burning Man? That that are just what you just described. One guy uh, is a friend of mine who works uh, in the Florida House of Representatives. He's, he works for, for some people there. The other woman, is his girlfriend, is a, uh, a, a former tax attorney and a, now a, a, a law professor. And they have been known. That, I don't think they do it this year, but in the past they've gone out there and just disconnected for a week. And they, they, they really enjoy it. So they have been to Burning Man? Yeah. What What have they told you about it? You know what? I don't ask because I have no desire to ever go myself. Uh, but, they but you're said, not interested in what it is that they see I mean, they, in that, 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 that? Like they, they say, it, it's it's fun. It's like I said, they get to they have a week where they're just off the grid, you know, and they they, they enjoy that. Hmm. Cole Kubik, uh, Kubelik will join us this afternoon. I don't see Cole Kubelik as a guy that ever will attend a Burning Man. No. Maybe we'll ask him about that. I don't I don't know if he knows anything about it or not. Uh, Luke Johnson will join us. From the uh, the Eagle Hour, we'll talk some Southern Miss, Mississippi State uh, with him. We'll get into what we learned from the first week of college football. Some NFL notes that are happy uh, are happening. I'm sorry, NFL notes that are uh, looks like something is about to happen with Zeke and the Cowboys, and that something is Zeke is going to be incredibly wealthy, and he's going to be in Dallas for a really long time. At least that's what it looks like. Take a look at the uh, opening lines for this second week of college football and a, uh, a whole lot more. What would you guys think about Notre Dame-Louisville last night? Rippy, anything jump out to you in that game? Louisville fumbled a lot. <laughs> they put the ball on the ground. Puma Pass was impressive early. Is, is Georgia going to run for 400 yards against Notre Dame's defense? Yes. That game's coming at what in two weeks? That's a week three matchup in Athens. Yeah, I, I think Louisville might have been sort of in the same spot that North Carolina was in. That for whatever reason it just wasn't working last year, and they just sort of all tapped out. And now they've got a new coach and some new energy. They they could be back to you know re- respectable in one year. Like as as Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreit were going through the lineups and they were showing all the players, they were like. Four or five guys that are like, oh, it's a future NFL guy here, and uh, you know, a bunch of guys on the offensive line that could play in the NFL. And Puma Pass was offered a scholarship by Notre Dame, and everybody else in America, they turned about the quarterback, Jawan Pass for uh, Louisville. There's a lot of talent on that roster, and Bobby Petrino, as he is wont to do, was able to get an entire football team to completely quit, even if quitting wasn't really part of their makeup. They quit on him. He just must not be a very fun human being to hang around. Seems to have not worked at pretty much everywhere he's been for the last, old oh, decade or so. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. What did we learn this weekend? We'll talk about that when we come back with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Like the legend of the Phoenix. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Good to be with you on this Tuesday afternoon. Thanks for joining us. What did you learn this weekend as you watched games starting on Thursday night 
and rolling all the way through last night as you uh, you look around college football, as you look around the SEC, as you look right here in the Magnolia State, thinking about what you thought before the season began versus having seen a game. Did you learn anything of significance? Hey, we'll start with you. Anything jump out at you that you thought, I didn't expect that, or you're like, yeah, that's exactly what I thought was going to be the case? Well, we talked about it a little bit yesterday with State's defense. I didn't expect them to be as, as, as for lack of a better word, poor as they were on uh, on on Saturday. Although, you know, in retrospect, and now that I've had time to think about it, maybe I should have been because we talked leading into that game about Louisiana's offensive line and how much experience they have coming back. You know, what were they starting? Four redshirt seniors and a redshirt junior. So maybe the fact that they were successful, oh, you know, combined with an athletic quarterback and a good play caller as your head coach, shouldn't have been that big a surprise. But that said, yeah, I, I was definitely surprised. I feel like I learned that MSU's defense is going to have some growing pains uh, this season. We'll see if they, if they can grow up fast enough to be a good defense again this year. And then around the SEC, I think I learned that, you know, the, the, the tier is pretty obvious. It's, there's Alabama-Georgia. LSU is just behind them. Texas a and is probably just behind them. And then it's, it, it seems like it's sort of wide open. You know, every, Florida's going to be pretty good, but they could lose a game here or there, and I wouldn't be completely surprised. And, and then everybody else is just sort of all mixed together with Tennessee probably on the bottom right now just because of how they're going to be reeling mentally after that loss. Could LSU, in your mind, climb into the exact same tier as Alabama and Georgia if they were to dominate Texas this weekend? No. Or you think that no. they're a step back regardless? They they can only jump into that tier by beating Alabama. Georgia hasn't beaten Alabama. Why are they in the yeah, same tier with Alabama? Because they dominate their side of the division. You, I'm talking about the two teams that dominate their divisions. Okay, so you're taking one team from the East, one team from the West. And on top of that, Georgia has at least been competitive with Alabama. LSU has not been for a couple of years. Yeah, that's fair enough. What about you, Borky? Um, I, I guess uh, keeping it local going into this game, I, I said it on Rippy's podcast, I think on here as well, that this idea that for the last two years that Ole Miss defensively was that bad simply because they didn't have the talent and they were they just weren't talented enough and that's why they were bad. Uh, I think going into the, the season, I, I was kind of affirmed on that. So I guess I learned that I was right. One of the rare occasions that I was that uh, they weren't the 121st most talented defense in college football last year. There were some dudes on there that could play, but they were just so poorly coached that now you bring in a scheme – and somebody that clearly knows what they're doing, they had some guys that can play. Now, they're not going to be some kind of upper echelon. They're not going to be as good as LSU or Alabama, but that's a team that if they keep playing that well defensively and they were in the right position, defensive backs got their head around when they were in pass coverage for the first time in seemingly five years, they will be able to keep that team around as Matt Corral goes through his young quarterback growing pains. I think we learned that Talent was not the exclusive issue for Ole Miss defensively the last couple of years, and we got that confirmed on Saturday. In terms of new players on the defensive side, Lakia Henry had he he played really well and had an impact, and he was credited with seven tackles. I'm not sure how they were going about the whole tackle thing. It felt like he had more 
than just seven tackles in the game. But that's what he was credited with. Yeah, and there were times where he he made the play, so to speak, air quotes, without making the tackle. Luke Knox uh, was in on some tackles, and he was a new face, new player. There really weren't a lot of new contributors on Saturday, were there? Sam Williams, Lakeia Henry. Sam Williams. Didn't think about him. Excuse me. John Haynes. Uh, Defensive line largely the same, though, and they controlled the line of scrimmage and got to the passer. It, uh, your defensive well, secondary largely the same, and, and they played well and getting, tackled well. Yeah, I think where I was getting, though, was with the personnel that Ole Miss had a year ago, if Mike McIntyre had been coaching that defense, how much better would that defense have been a season ago than it was? They would have looked like they knew what they were doing. Maybe fewer of those, nobody within the entire frame of the camera situations. Like, yeah, accidentally not covering Jerry Judy. <laughs> Seems suboptimal. Rippy, what did you learn from week one? Ole Miss has to do something about the left side of its line, particularly left tackle. It has to be better, whether they find someone else or Michael Howard improves. Can't go like can't go through another game like that. And if they do, they will not win it. Oh no, of course not. Not, not even close. So what do you expect that to be? Some Nick Broker, maybe they kind of ditch this idea of making Bryce Matthews the plug-and-play guy like Jordan Sims. Maybe they move him back over there. Don't think you'll see Alex Givens over there. they got to do something. So do you think Broker or Matthews is the left tackle? Both. So you think you rotate those two guys at left tackle? I think they try a bunch of stuff until it works. And then Broker, can he play anything besides tackle? Uh, I'm assuming he could play right tackle. They kind of switched him out. I mean, but the, all these guys are pretty much ambidextrous or amphibious, as Charles Barkley would say. Um, can Alex Gibbons play the entire game against Arkansas on Saturday? It's a good question. I'll ask it tonight. Probably. Okay. He played 37 of 53 snaps. Ole Miss will. Well, they better hope they play more. Than, they've run more than 53 snaps in this game. Um, so close to it, maybe not the whole thing, but pretty close. Yeah, kind of thinking back to um, to week one, as look across the SEC, I guess Alabama, pretty much what we thought they were going to be. I know Duke was the uh, was the opponent, but I might say the defense was even better than I anticipated. I mean, to hold Duke to a field goal at the end of the first half, it's pretty impressive. Um, Arkansas was worse than I anticipated. Now, we'll see if they get better. I mean, that's a team that uh, has the tendency to get a little bit better each week, right, guys? Yes, sir. Every week. Ole Miss lucky they're getting them in week two. They're 1-0 last week, and they're looking to be 1-0 this week. Stacking good days on good days. So Arkansas with a uh, relatively close win against Portland State from the FCS. I think Auburn was about what I thought they would be. This is a team that could very well win a game or two where they are not favored, but I think they could also very well lose a game or two where they are favored. <coughs> it's an Auburn team that's probably either going seven and five or eight and four. When you look at the schedule, now one of the hurdles that they had in getting to whatever that number is has been crossed, but they did the exact same thing a year ago with Washington in the season opener. I don't think Auburn's going to beat A&M. 
I don't think they're going to beat Alabama. I don't think they're going to beat LSU, although that game tends to be weird sometimes. I don't think they're going to beat Georgia. And I just named four losses there. Hard to tell. They just beat the 11th ranked team in the country with a true freshman quarterback. Agreed. But it was a true freshman quarterback that either came into his own in the second half or just kind of got lucky. And maybe a combination of the two. Maybe he is a talented enough true freshman that there's going to be some up and down. Which is kind of what you would expect with a true freshman. Florida was okay. Georgia was really good and then really disinterested. Kentucky looks like a team that could win seven again. LSU is on the cusp, I think, of being really good. I got this question on the podcast today. I'm going to ask you. Kentucky finished third in the East. Sure. I mean, a week I mean, ago, that, that I mean, seems improbable, but that's where we are. Georgia is going to win the East. Some combination of Tennessee and Vanderbilt are going to finish sixth and seventh. South Carolina slightly... Well, hold on, back up a second. Some combination of South Carolina, Tennessee, and Vanderbilt are going to finish fifth, sixth, and seventh. Right. Missouri fourth? Maybe third? They got gashed by Wyoming, though. I know they did. And they've got a power and, five opponent this weekend out of conference. They got West Virginia. And, and and am I wrong for saying we just got a little bit more evidence as to why Kelly Bryant was benched? Yeah. No, you're not wrong. He's Earned athletic. The football over. He's athletic. He's talented. He's good. He can put up big numbers, but I got news for you. He ain't Trevor Lawrence. And that's why he's the starter at Missouri as a grad transfer. And Trevor Lawrence is the starter for the reigning national champions. Hey, Dad, I don't think that's crazy at all to think that Kentucky could finish third. I agree. At all. We'll walk through the rest of the SEC, maybe what we learned this weekend when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Also, Luke Johnson on the Farm Bureau phone line. Take a first look at Mississippi State Southern Miss. back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Some responses to the U.S. Open conversation uh, earlier. Jeff says you would have to pay me at least $20 to watch tennis on television. Fair enough. Barry and Laurel says he got to see Coco's practice rounds, which is kind of cool. She got pasted yesterday, uh, or maybe two days ago in singles and then in doubles as well. Is that a tennis term? Pasted? Yeah. Um, Blanked. Beaten in straight sets. I think that was kind of like a mixed metaphor use across all sports. Just toss in a nil. Ah, uh, shut up, Rippy. Luke Johnson joins us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. We need that on a sounder, Borky, where we could just hit like hit a button and you get, shut up, Rippy. Yeah, I'm going to save that. I'd like to have that. access to that button. So you could use it yourself? Yeah. Luke, what's up, man? Hey guys, good Labor Day. Um, just excited about a uh, an old school series. This will be uh, number thirty between Mississippi State and Southern Miss. Looking forward to uh, what's going to happen at Stark Vegas this weekend. Did you put anything on the grill last night? I didn't. We bought a new place, and I was digging up hedge all day yesterday. Oh, you should have brought Borky along for that. He loves doing that stuff. 
I'm sure he would have with his allergies and everything. He wouldn't have been able to breathe at all when I was breathing in. I put a mask on like I'm uh, like traveling international, so it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was, that was just a mental picture that immediately popped into my head when you said that. Um, Luke, let's rewind to uh, to Saturday night. Season opener, over 30,000, so that was a win for the program. Uh, win on the field, uh, score not terribly close, couple of special teams touchdowns, opening kickoff, punt return as well. What did you take away that was good, and where did you see work still needing to be done? As explosive as the first 14 seconds were with Jalen Adams' 89-yard kickoff return, the rest of the game until late in the third quarter, it, it just was sputtered. It, it did not uh, – wasn't explosive. It was about the best possible start. And then it just kind of drug on. Uh, Eagles got inside the 10-yard line three different times and were unable to score touchdowns. So you had a freshman kicker, Andrew Stein. You went three for three. Uh, you know, at halftime, it was 13 to nothing. It should have very easily been uh, 21 to nothing, and the final score should have been somewhere, you know, in the 45 to 49 range. Um, just the obvious glaring issue is what we talked about last year, the inability to run the football. And you, you go back to last year, opening game against Jackson State, SWAC opponent, they rushed for 202 yards. And then, you know, they average a little over 100 the rest of the year at the bottom of uh, D1. They only rushed for 96 yards um, Saturday night. So that is something that needs to be addressed very, very, very quickly. Uh, you, you got the sense, though, that maybe Buster Faulkner wasn't uh, unveiling his playbook because you saw kind of a lot of the same plays over and over again. There were some early drops. Quez Watkins not in um, not in the receiving core for the first two games. Jordan Mitchell had an outstanding game, 130 yeah. yards. Uh, but just the offensive line is uh, a glaring uh, issue going into Mississippi State. And if you guys didn't hear it, Travinsky Mosley, really on one of his first plays of the game, injured his knee. Uh, there's been no official report. The coaching staff doesn't release that, but he will be missing probably a month or more. So Southern Miss will be without their top back uh, for the foreseeable future. So certainly that is not ideal going into a, uh, a road game in week two um, like Southern Miss has got where they got to go to uh, Mississippi State. One thing I was noticing, and I'm trying to pull up the, the final stat book here as we are uh, as we're talking, it didn't seem like there were a ton of offensive plays that were run, period. Is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, Southern Miss had 16 first downs. Alcorn had, had 15. So, you know, you look at, uh, I think, punting, there was 10 total punts. Uh, it was just a lot of uh, back and forth for a little bit. I mean, I'll tell you what, the, the second quarter was really long. Uh, there wasn't much going on on either side. Uh, and some of that was Southern Miss's defense. That's the other positive. The, the special teams got a whole lot of uh, got probably an A plus uh, plus. But but the defense looks really fast, especially up front. Torrance Brown, Terry Whittington look really really good. Uh, DQ Thomas had seven tackles, two tackles for a loss. But yeah, when you look at it overall, Southern Miss only had 27 minutes of, of field pos- or of, of, of possession, um, and mm-hmm. so it was just kind of a slow game for a while. Jack Abraham, 18-28, 293 yards, one touchdown, one interception. What did you make of his performance in Game 1? Uh, his interception was just a tip ball. Um, he, For the most part, he was able uh, to, to complete 
good amounts. Probably three of the or four of those incompletions were drop balls. Um, so you you take away those plus uh, the pick. You know, he's somewhere in the seventy five percent range, which is what he usually is. He actually scored a touchdown on the ground. That was impressive for about fifteen yards out. Uh, what I did feel like the offensive line gave him, he had a little more time in, in the pocket than what we're accustomed to seeing. Of course, you know, it was Alcorn. But at the same time, uh, you know, Alcorn State's got a, a great quarterback. Uh, but you just, you know, you, you wonder against uh, bigger defenses, is, is that pocket going to collapse as much? But overall, Jack looked the part. <clears throat> Looking ahead to Saturday in Starkville, one, it's going to be hot. Um Two, it's obviously an SEC opponent. Mississippi State goes on the road, and uh, they played a neutral site in New Orleans. Get a win. Maybe a little less impressive than some thought they would be in the opener, but what do you make of this game on Saturday? Well, one of the things that uh, Lafayette was able to do was they were able to run the football uh, you know, early. And uh, that just you wonder if Southern Miss, is, if they're not going to be able to run the football, Mississippi State can just pin their ears back and come after Jack Abraham. There's going to have to be superior special teams play, and, and I do think Southern Miss, if you haven't seen the kickoff return and the punt return from Jalen Adams, like go back and watch that. The kid is, is electric. I mean, it's just, it was pretty amazing to watch, you know, how fast he is on the field. Uh, they're going to have to have some big plays, and they're, they're not going to be able to turn the ball over. If they turn the ball over, they're basically going to spot uh, Mississippi State 14 points, and you, you, you just can't do that. Um, I think on defense, Tim Billing is going to uh, just try to force Tommy Stevens with some pressure and force him, uh, you know, to possibly end some mistakes. Uh, and that's they're going to have to create turnovers. Uh, I know it just kind of sounds bland in analysis, but I mean that's the truth. Southern Southern Miss is going to have to play extremely well. I, I'm just kind of puzzled about the line, eighteen and a half point underdog, uh, but it makes sense after what you saw, you know, Saturday night. So. If they get a turnover here or there and they play turnover-free, we could have a ball game mid-third quarter. Can Southern Miss's defense cause problems for Mississippi State? I mean, is that where – I don't know if it's fair to say is that where this game is won and lost, but is that a part of Southern Miss's makeup that gives them a chance to really stay in it? I believe so, and I believe you'll see you know, how, how good the defense is. Uh, when they line up against a massive offensive line, I mean, that's just what we've heard is how big Mississippi State's line is. So I think in some ways they, they probably will lose the line of scrimmage on the offensive side. I think they can make up for that on their side, not necessarily with the tackles, although you have two conference USA preseason guys up there with Smith and Turner. Uh, but I think there, there's a lot of speed at the linebacking position. And you almost feel like also um, – that both coordinators were, were hiding some things. I think this is a game that Southern Miss has been preparing for for a, a long time. You may see some wrinkles that you wouldn't you know, normally see. And, uh, and so the speed on the defense, but it is a really good litmus test for, for how good this defense is. And, you know, if Tommy Stevens just comes out and shreds them, then you'd know that, you know, that they were overhyped a little bit. I just feel like, you know, there, there's some things that, that uh, will be seen first and, and only on, on Saturday at 2.30. And so I feel good. I think it can be a ball game at least for a half, and depending on what happens in that half, if they play turnover free, I think it could be a pretty good ball game. Hey, Dad, when you look at this, is that kind of how you go at it as well? Yeah, absolutely. You know, if, if State 
State's going to have to be better offensively. I'm sorry, defensively in this game, even though even with Southern and some of the struggles that they had. You know, Jack Abraham is a good quarterback, and if they give him time to throw, uh, he he can make some plays. But 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 Luke is right. State's offensive line should be physically superior to USM's defensive line and be able to wear on them for four quarters. I, I fully expect Kylan Hill to have another big game, and that's probably going to be the biggest difference in this game. Luke, final thing: Southern Miss fans excited, planning on making the trip. You think a lot of black and gold in Starkville on uh, on Saturday? Well, whenever Mississippi State and Southern Miss play in any sport, it's an opportunity to get back at each other for not selling each other tickets, particularly in baseball. So I don't know how many they're going to let us buy to get in the stadium up there. But I know this, as many of them, as many that will uh, be able to get in will be there. And I think they're excited. I mean, you're, you're looking before 2014, guys. You know, they haven't played since 1990. Uh, or 1991. And so it, it doesn't happen that much. Thankfully, it's going to happen in 2024, 20, 2025 again. But, you know, for these, for two teams like this to play in the state of Mississippi, it's unheard of. The team in Oxford, you know, won't play Southern Miss. So it's one of those where I think a lot of Golden Eagle fans are excited about the opportunity and want to make the trip. All right. That is Luke Johnson from the Eagle Hour, Sports Talk Mississippi. Glad to have you along on this Tuesday. We've got a much more coming up. Luke, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, man. All right, guys. Thanks. Back after this in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Back with you on this Tuesday afternoon on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. Southern Miss and Mississippi State coming up on Saturday in Starkville, two thirty kickoff. Hey, Dad, have you uh, allowed yourself to look at the forecast? Oh, I know it's going to be hot, hot. If you're a hot. USM fan or an MSU fan, within the sound of my voice, wear a white shirt or gold. If you're USM, don't go with black or maroon. Don't do it. Your idea yesterday is a good one, by the way. Yeah, it, I think it's a little too late in the process, obviously, to make that happen. But if they could, if I was state, I would tell Southern, hey, bring the black jerseys. We're going in white. Well, couldn't Southern go gold? If state went in white, could Southern go I don't know how that would work, possibly. Does they Southern could. have gold jerseys? They do. They wore them uh, Saturday. Look really good, too. Okay. Well, then that's where, I, that's where I would go if I was Southern and if state were able to pull that. But I don't. I think it's, like I said, it's a little too late in the process to. Uh, Is it really to like change. they couldn't decide on on Tuesday that hey we're wearing home whites because it's going to be triple digits? I, I don't know for sure, but I don't think they could. It's crazy. I could be wrong. I honestly don't think there's that much difference. There's not much difference, but there is a difference. Maybe now from from the standpoint of a fan, if you're sitting in the stands, yes, I would agree that there's a difference. It's less hot wearing a white shirt than it is a black shirt in the blazing sun. But considering you've got pants that comes on come down to your knees that are tight with another layer of tights underneath them and some pads, and then you got shoulder pads with a shirt underneath the shoulder pads and a jersey on top of that and a big old heavy helmet on your head, I don't know that it makes a difference on that front. I mean like people talk themselves into it making a difference. Maybe it does. I I don't know. Well, it's like it those car dealerships that advertise you get $200 off a $50,000 car. It's like, oh, wow, thanks. Yeah, something like that. Something Just take what uh, you can like get that. as far as relief. 
See, that's why you should uh, should visit your Mississippi Ford dealers today and get 20% off of MSRP, not $200 Boom. off. Talking about real savings. Tell you more about that when we uh, get to the college football fix in the uh, the five o'clock hour a little bit later this afternoon. We were uh, we were we were just kind of walking through the teams from the SEC. The whole "what did you learn" thing. So we went through Bama, Arkansas, Auburn, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, and we got to LSU. And I'm not ready to squat on a take of what I learned one way or the other. But the initial viewing of LSU was, mm, something looks a little bit different. That looks like not the lip service we've gotten to the offense being different, but the combination of Joe Brady and Steve Ensminger kind of working together with that offense, conceptually it's different. They've got the field spread all over the place, five wide, four wide, four wide with the back different tight end structures and are trying to use the entire field as opposed to the LSU of yore where it was three yards in a cloud of dust and then we'll eventually break one. It's what they should have been doing for a long time. They've had the personnel to do this and be so good at it and they've never done it. And now finally... Did you see the Fournette and Geist tweets? They've been missing the quarterback though, right? Yeah, Mittenberger I mean, could have done it. Sure. But I think what, that we were talking about Fortnite this on last week's sport. podcast. The best quarterback LSU's had in the last decade to 15 years or whatever was the second best quarterback at Georgia at a time. That's a good point. Yeah, Leonard Fournette, Darius Guys tweeting Saturday night, can you imagine if we could have run this offense? Uh, yeah. Thankfully, we don't have to imagine that. Or we can imagine it, but other teams don't have to experience it. So where does Burrow end up on the LSU quarterback power rankings of the last, you know, 15 years? Tell you next on Undisputed. (laughs) He might be the the most talented, pure quarterback of the entire group. It'll be interesting. I mean, if they if this ends up working, is he better than? Does he end up having a better career than Mettenberger? I guess I should say. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. The NFL experience and the purple drink debacle are causing us to forget just how good Jamarcus Russell was. I agree. That dude could play, and he was a giant and had a cannon and could move. What year? I'm thinking Russell was pre that. I think that's he's the end of the marker, like since then is really more what I'm talking about, I guess. I'm not discounting it just because you said that. Like, I didn't forget Jamarcus Russell. It was more so, I think that's most of it. Like, when was Jamarcus then. Russell? See, 06. 10, 11, 12? No, 2006 Whoa. was his last year. 06 was it? Okay. And I'm off on my timeline for LSU quarterbacks then. Sports Talk Mississippi, we will continue this conversation with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you.
back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi. Tuesday afternoon, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. Rippy's scooted away over to practice for a little while. He will rejoin us in the 5 o'clock hour today. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Check out their website, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind and you're in North Mississippi, Give Mississippi Land Bank a, a chance to help you buy the land, buy the equipment you need to maintain the land, or uh, maybe refinance an existing loan. Mississippi Land Bank, mslandbank.com, where they know the lay of the land. Good to be with you this afternoon. And uh, we've got Cole Kubelik joining us in uh, just a few minutes on the Farm Bureau phone line. New coaches poll is out. Hey, Dad, do you want to do that, or do you want to continue walking through? Let, let, let's finish walking through the teams from the SEC. Got about halfway through week one and kind of your reaction. You talked earlier about Mississippi State. Um, For me, in a lot of ways, we find more out about Mississippi State next week against Kansas State. Or is it Kentucky next week and then Kansas State? No, it's Kansas State, then Kentucky. Yeah. So the next two weeks, I think, tell us a little bit more. But honestly, to me, Kentucky is is the game, and it's four weeks in before I feel like we know enough to kind of make some judgments about Mississippi State. Am I crazy for thinking that? No, not at all. I mean, because it's the same situation as last year. State was 3-0 and in the non-conference, and... They had blown out everybody they played. They blew out, uh, was it Stephen F. Austin, manhandled Kansas State, destroyed Louisiana, and they're 3-0 and traveling up to Kentucky, and everybody thinks, okay, well, State always beats Kentucky. They're going to be 4-0 and for that big matchup with Florida. And what happens? They go up there and get punched in the mouth. So State could be 3-0 and again, you know, coming into this game against Kentucky, and people will think, well, it was just a one-year thing, and they lost Snell and Josh Allen. And State could go get punched in the mouth again and lose. So that Kentucky game is, is huge for Mississippi State this season. It's huge every year. State has to keep Kentucky in the win column to, to maintain their bowl streak and to, to be the program they want to be. They can't have Kentucky be a toss-up or even worse, a loss. Borky, you know what's crazy? I feel like I look at Mississippi State's schedule for the rest of the way, and there are only two games where I pause and go, hmm, I don't know. Kentucky is one of them. I don't love Mississippi State's chances at Auburn. I think Mississippi State wins in Knoxville. I think they probably lose to LSU and A&M. I think they beat Arkansas, no questions asked. I think they lose to Alabama. They beat Abilene Christian. And then I give a little bit of pause for the Egg Bowl just because it's the Egg Bowl. It's fair. Hey, Dad, do you look at it differently than that, or is that kind of where you are also? That's pretty much where I am. I think, again, I just wasn't that impressed with Auburn. I, you know, I'm going to end up being one of these guys, by the way. I can already feel it coming. That's in Week 10 and Auburn's undefeated. I'm still not that impressed with Auburn. I can, I can just feel that coming. But, I, I, yeah. that. What, I'm not results, saying it's definitely a loss. Right. Like, but, like I, no questions asked. But if you say, hey, Richard. Road, yeah. 
Who, that, that, you're yeah. going to pick State. You're going to pick Auburn to win. I get that. Right. And I, I would, too. Right. Today I would pick Auburn to win. But State could go over there and win, and it wouldn't be the, the most surprising thing in the world. But, yeah, the results of last weekend sort of bear out this idea that State could go 8-4 and four just because who are they playing that, that's just a, a nightmare for them? There, there isn't really a team like that on the schedule beyond the teams you already were riding in as losses anyway. Yeah. No, I, I mean, if, if the two toss-up games that I gave – not toss-up even. The, just the two games that give me pause, if they go Mississippi State's way – that's eight and four. If you split those two, it's seven and five. And if you're if you were to lose both of them, then it's six and six. I don't think this team's going six and six. Right. Not a hundred percent sure that I buy into them going eight and four, but it, I think we kind of went through this the other day. I I almost lean just based on what we saw in the first week. Mississippi State more likely eight and four than seven and five, which I think is a flip from where we were last week. Yeah, but I think that's more due to what we saw from the other teams, specifically Tennessee, uh, than anything exactly. else. Exactly. I can't do that with Ole Miss's schedule right now. Now, I, I will fully admit that there are other people who might look at Ole Miss's schedule and say, I can tell you exactly what's going to happen when they play these games. I think the defense, though, is the wild card because it was better. And... I would like to think, and maybe this is just being completely honest, maybe this is a little bit more heart than head, I'd like to think the offense is going to make some improvements. Well, that, Richard, and we've got 20 years of data that suggests that Rich Rodriguez can call an effective offense and score points and move the football, and I'm not going to let one half... Uh, and at some point, what do you do when you're dominated that poor... I mean, they were flat-out dominated up front in the first half of that football game, so what can you do as a play caller, but... When you've got two decades of data to back up that he knows what he's doing, it's hard to just completely write him off that, like some people were just yet. I, I, I do not disagree with you, but there are personnel issues, and if they don't get the offensive line yeah. figured out, then it's not going to get significantly better. You will see some different approaches, though, in play calling. A lot of misdirection yeah, stuff, no, rolling yeah, the pocket things that. to alleviate your issues up front. But at some point, if if you can't block up front, then there's only so much you can do. But but here's where I get with this. So so I can look at Mississippi State or Mississippi State schedule and then go, yeah, I'm pretty sure this is what's going to happen every time they play. With Ole Miss, Arkansas, I mean, I think Ole Miss is better than them. But I need to see it happen. They should win against Southeastern Louisiana. I think Ole Miss can beat Cal at home. Cal couldn't score on UC Davis on Saturday. I understand that, but Cal's got a good defense. That that game could very well be 10-7. to 7. Oh, goodness help us at 11 a.m. <laughs> on September 21st when it's 96 degrees. Oh, that will be rough. At Alabama, we all know the result. Vanderbilt, I don't think I know the result. I felt like the trip to Missouri going into the year was not real promising for Ole Miss. Missouri kind of left you scratching your head a little bit, though. I don't think I would pick Ole Miss to win at Missouri today, but if Missouri continues to trend in the way they did in the opening and Ole Miss were to make any progress, that could change. A&M, not a good matchup. 
Auburn on the road, not a good matchup. New Mexico State's probably a win. LSU's not a good matchup. And then I kind of go back to what I said with Mississippi State. It's the Egg Bowl, so it kind of gives you some pause. Eh, we'll see. There's a whole lot more after one week, to me, where you've got question marks all over the place for Ole Miss versus when you look at Mississippi State's schedule. If you're a Mississippi State fan, you're going to a bowl game somewhere probably in December, at the very end of December. I don't think as we sit right here today that it's a January 1 game. Could be wrong. That could change, and some of it will depend on bowl pecking order and what's going on. But this feels like a Music City slash Belk Bowl season for Mississippi State. Yeah. Today. And to me, for Ole Miss, it is, oh, if there's just a way to get back to Memphis. I mean, you, you want to see the polar opposite? If Ole Miss were to get back to the Liberty Bowl, the crowd they had this past Saturday versus what they would have on December 27th or 8th or whatever? Um, I'm not going to say it would take a miracle or that it takes a miracle but it's going to take a team that looks drastically different than it did just three or four days ago. What about the other teams in the SEC? Uh, Missouri? Question marks. South Carolina? The Jake Bentley era is likely over for good. Tennessee? Where do you go from that? Could could the loss to Georgia State for Tennessee in the opener begin the spiral. Hey, Dad, that Ole Miss had the year they lost to Jacksonville State to open the season? I thought about that. I mean, that's a good comparison. I thought about State losing to South Alabama, but Mullen had enough credit built up that he was able to to weather that storm. So, yeah, that might be a really good good analogy there, though, that, that it could begin a, uh, a long slide for Tennessee. I think Texas A&M is pretty darn good. And I think that's a lot of points that the Aggies are getting on Saturday in Clemson, South Carolina. A lot of points for a good football team. Now, surely Clemson's going to look better than they did offensively in the season opener, but a and so much better than Georgia Tech. I mean, it's not even comparable. And then Vandy, we'll see. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. All guests on Sports Talk Mississippi appear via the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. That is Mississippi Farm Bureau. Cole Kubelik joins us right now, college football analyst for ESPN and the uh, the SEC Network. Pulled double duty last weekend. He was in College Station on Thursday night, and then he was eating squirrel on a stick on Saturday night in Nashville. It is the uh, that That's the cousin to the hot chicken sandwich, I think. What's up, Cole? Hey, what's going on, Richard? Doing well, man. Thanks. How how was the squirrel? Uh, you know, it was okay. It it whatever. Like I said, if it was uh if I could have a waistline like Ben Cleveland's, I'd eat it every day. So Yeah. Understand that. Hey, let, let's jump into uh big picture reactions from week one in the SEC. Um d- does your perception of Auburn change? Does your perception of Alabama or Georgia or Vanderbilt, or Ole Miss, or Mississippi State change after just one game? 
Uh, maybe a little bit. I mean, I, I, I think when you look at, like, let's say Auburn, you look at the rest of their schedule, and if they're going to put together a, a really good season, they had to get that game because they still right. have A&M, Mississippi State, Florida in consecutive weeks. They've got Georgia and Alabama. they got LSU on the road. They hadn't won there since 99. So, and the rest of that schedule is just filthy. So they, they, they needed to get that one, and they really need to get the next two to get out of the gate 3-0 and and then probably get two out of the next three, Florida, State, and who's the third one that I said earlier? Uh, Florida, Mississippi State, and Texas A&M. They need to get two of those three, and then they might be able to put together the season that some people uh, would would believe that is still a quality season. I loved what I saw from the Mississippi State offense. That offensive line is big and physical, and Kylan Hill is dynamic, and man, Tommy Stevens just adds a different dimension. And that guy can sling it, and, and he's going to force defenses to play them down the field on the back end, and that's going to open up a lot. Um, I, you know, I, I'm still confident in the D line in the front seven, but apparently all Mississippi State fans think that I belong in, in uh, some sort of a home for believing that because hmm. they, they took great exception with me saying that I still think the front seven is going to be a strength of the team. So I want to apologize to all Mississippi State fans for complimenting their football team over the weekend. <laughs> Uh, I apologize for saying something nice about your group and uh, forcing Twitter to lose its mind, but I'm not worried about that group at all. I know it wasn't their best performance, but I still do believe that'll be a strength of the team. And, I mean, it's kind of – I thought Ole Miss needed that game to make a bowl, and it's not over yet, and obviously things can change. I thought the defense did look a little better at times. Offensive line obviously struggled a lot. But I thought they needed that one for a bowl. So maybe my opinion has changed a little bit on Ole Miss. It'll probably depend on what I see this weekend over there in Oxford. Um, you know, I, with Georgia, they're about what I thought they'd be. Alabama, offensive line, not as good as I thought it would be. But, I mean, if they're going to force-feed Jerry Judy the ball 12 to 15 times a game, I'm not sure it's going to matter. Yeah, why uh, wouldn't you? Yeah, I know. You, you. I mean, you got to. Uh, he's, he's, he's that good of a weapon. So... You know, I, I think I'm a little more concerned about Arkansas than I was. Now, my opinion has greatly changed about Tennessee and Missouri because, I mean, Tennessee is one of those teams I think a lot of us thought was going to be the most improved in the league, and a lot of us thought Missouri could go into November playing for the East, which they still can, but none of us really believe that anymore after just getting punched in the face defensively by Wyoming. So, All right, let's press pause there for a I second. I definitely so- have a, uh, a different opinion of. So, so Missouri loses at Wyoming, but the schedule is still what it is. And West Virginia is a massive rebuild. And Southeast Missouri State is a game they should win. And South Carolina looks like a mess. And Jake Bentley may never play quarterback there again. And then it's Troy and Ole Miss and Vandy on the road and Kentucky on the road. They could lose that game at Kentucky. But what else would you look at Missouri schedule-wise and go, yeah, I don't know that they can get it done that week between now and when they play Kentucky. Well, I wouldn't say that, but I would flip that around and say, which one of those games could they lose? And that's a much different discussion because you say West Virginia's a total rebuild, but I mean, Austin Kendall's an Oklahoma transfer that's been around college football for a few years, and Neil Brown's not really overhauling that system. It's still going to be similar. 
you know, Troy under Neil Brown is still going to be pretty good. They got a quarterback that went out and won a bowl game for him last year that returned. Okay. Uh, so Chip Lindsey's going to have that thing it, it, very similar to what it was a season ago. I like what I saw from Kentucky's offensive line. I think they have some weapons on offense around Terry Wilson, even though he really needs to improve. So I think the, the opposite end of that discussion is, okay, which one of these could they drop that I now just went ahead and checked off as a win? And there's probably two or three of them. But I just thought Missouri, oh, yeah, they'll be fine in that game. And now I look at it and say, eh, I don't know. They, they, they might not be able to just go win that game. Was it accurate when I said Jake Bentley will never play quarterback at South Carolina again? I don't know if I'd go that far just yet. I mean, his dad's on staff. You know, he loves that team. He's a, he's an emotional guy. He's poured his heart out for that for that program. I don't know if he would be picked in the first three or four rounds right now. So he might need to come back and show that he cannot turn the ball over. And if scouts tell him that he's a fifth or sixth rounder, he he might need to come back and play one more year. Try to take a red shirt and play one more year. So I. I mean, yeah, but, I think but, it's easy to say but if that they're now, slightly I, improved, I if they're slightly improved with this freshman that's going to come in behind him, you think there's a scenario where he could win the job back? Yeah, because he's talented. He could. He absolutely could. And Will Muschamp's loyal, so he would give him every shot at it. Hmm. The freshman's got to come in and play good ball first, Richard. And, and we don't know. No, you're not, right. I mean, I know that, that's got to happen. With the freshman, Auburn won with the freshman. Who else won with the freshman this week? Uh, somebody else went out and won with the true freshman quarterback. So, I mean, it, it's happening all over the place. But, you know, I don't know. Uh, are you a believer in what LSU is doing yet, or do you need to see Saturday night first? No, I'm a believer because, I mean, Ed Ordron's committed to it. Now, I think people get a little bit consumed with five wide, throw the ball 55 times a game. You know, air raid, and that's that's not what it's going to be. They're still going to be balanced. They're still going to run the football. So I I don't think it's necessarily going to be, you know, Mike Leach's offense just yet. But the fact that they've got it and they can go to it and they can use it, it's a big plus for LSU. So you know, good news for them is they got the best secondary in college football. Pretty good front seven that they're going to be able to lean on, and now they can pick and choose how they want to attack you offensively. Whereas before. People picked and choose how they attacked you defensively, and there wasn't much you could do about it because that was all you could do. Cole Kublik, college football analyst with ESPN and SEC Network. He is in Oxford this Saturday for Ole Miss and Arkansas. It's the SEC Network Saturday primetime game. So Ole Miss's offensive line, we knew there was rebuilding because of what they lost with Greg Little at left tackle and Javon Patterson and Sean Rawlings in the middle of that offensive line. But it was bad on Saturday. Can they improve without changing personnel? Of course you can. I mean, it's, it's going it, to – it's because I've told you this before. The only way to get better playing offensive line is to do it full speed against somebody trying to make you look bad. Arkansas's D-line, McTelvin Aguim and, and Bumper Pool and those guys, they're going to be trying to make them look bad. So, yes, you can improve. Obviously, it's not going to happen next week. It's not going to happen the next two or three weeks. It's going to take time. But I, I think there's always room for improvement. And the fact that they have a head coach that played the position and understands it and can, can give extra coaching probably gives them a little bit of a leg up. And, and I think you'll see the offensive coordinator 
make some adjustments to work around them a little bit more. You know, maybe they maybe they put too much faith in them week one. Like I think Auburn did the exact opposite. Like you put put the Auburn film on, and it's slide protection, max protection, keep a back in, keep a back in the tight end. In it's just like, man, at some point in time, you guys just got to drop back and throw it. You know, at some point in time, you got to empty everybody around that offensive line and and pitch it around a little bit. But hey, LSU got away with it last year and won ten games. And you know, and Auburn just beat Oregon doing it. So I would expect to see a little bit of a change in scheme to try to help protect that group. But they can absolutely improve across the course of a season. Well, they're certainly going to need to if they can uh, can get to the postseason, uh, which you said became a whole lot more difficult with the loss to uh, to Memphis to open the year. Cole, really appreciate your time. Look forward to uh, seeing you this weekend. Thanks, Richard. Cole Kublik. He is uh, co-host of Three Man Front on Jocks FM in Birmingham, sideline analyst for the uh, SEC Network Saturday primetime game, and uh, now a squirrel on a stick connoisseur. Did you see that, Hey Dad, the other night? I did not see that. I've never had squirrel on a stick, though. So. Yeah, so they were uh, they were talking about an offensive lineman and how uh, when Kirby came to meet him the very first time, he was eating squirrel. And uh, so to illustrate the point, Cole is eating squirrel, squirrel just not on, a stick. on a stick. Do what? I've had squirrel, just not on a stick. Eh, tastes like chicken, right? Eh, well, it was squirrel and dumplings, so yeah, it really did. Squirrel and dumplings. Yeah. Porky, you ever had squirrel? Not that I recall, no. <laughs> How high is it on your list of things you're interested in trying? I think I'll keep that thing way at the bottom. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, Cole Kubelik on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Sports Talk Mississippi. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. Rippy will rejoin us in just a little while. Uh, should we listen to Mike Leach? Is this like a philosophical question or just this particular clip? I believe we should always listen to Mike Leach and what he says and, and probably follow his advice in many instances. Specifically right now, Borky, is it is it time? Should, is this where we should do it? Should we listen to what the great philo- uh, philosopher Mike Leach had to say? About Area 51 and Birmingh- uh, Burning Man? Yeah, I'm in. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. So we'll do this. We'll uh, most every week, assuming he says something interesting, which is most every week. Check in on the eccentric Mike Leach. Well, they ought to have Burning Man or something instead, just an, an extra Burning Man or a concert or something, because uh, you know, sitting there trying to go through barbed wire fence, well. You know, there's a bunch of aircraft uh, over the top of you or whatever. I mean, I don't think that'd be quite as much fun as uh, some of the alternatives uh, that you could have. But, I mean, what what are we to assume? Uh, uh, you know, 10,000 people are going to go start digging through warehouses. I, you know, and, and there, you know, I, I do think there is an end of days quality if we allow that type of thing to happen anyway. So, yes, I would. I'd like to go. It's during the season. Uh, well, part of it is because initially I thought that I wouldn't, um, <clears throat> uh, but I know people that have gone, and they all say it's fantastic. And then the other thing, 
it's difficult for them to describe it, but they all say it's great. And they kind of, you know, they're kind of um, folks that um, come from kind of different places, like incredibly wild to, uh, you know, like an attorney, a guy I went to law school with. Uh, um, and they all, they all say it's, uh, it's just a cool spectacle to see. The philosophical Mike Leach. First of all, the news about the people storming Area 51, he says it has an end-of-days quality to it and basically points out with using the words, if you engage in this exercise of trying to storm the gates of Area 51, there is a predetermined outcome, and the outcome is you're going to die. We can all agree on that, right? I mean, like, we all laughed about it. Oh, there were 400,000 people on Facebook that said, I'm interested in this event, and 67,000 people RSVP. You're signing your own death certificate. Well, you're going to go sometime, you know. Maybe, why not go out with a bank, literally? If, if there are that many people who are ready to say, I'm done, because if you cross the barbed wire, try to go break into a warehouse, you're going to be shot. You're not going to be arrested. I At least I assume that there's like a shoot to kill for trespassers order. Yes, it happened in January. Uh, some guy... It, the thing is, you can't even... They won't let you get anywhere close to seeing the actual facility. Yeah, I mean, it's not like you break through the initial gate... And then you've got one door to open to get to see the aliens. It's like miles. <laughs> aliens through this door. Yeah. There's not a sign where you can use the cheat code from Contra to get in the door. <laughs> I just picture Richard running with a big spread gun as he gets to take down the aliens. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there's some words of wisdom there. But then he's like, ah, I'd much rather go to like a concert or Burning Man or something. Would you like to go to Burning Burning Man? Yeah, I'd love to go to Burning Man, but it's during the season. Well, coach, you had like four years where you weren't coaching. You could have gone then. Nobody asked that. Was Burning Man a thing he has, at, when that when he was out of coaching? Yeah, it started in. Uh, I mean, it's grown and grown and grown. But I mean, this thing started in eighty. Oh, I didn't. Three? I didn't know that. Okay. 86, I think, was the first year. See, I did some reading on Burning Man today. And You're I welcome. can understand. Yes, thank you, Borky. I can understand what he said where everybody that's been says it's fantastic. I'm not sure that I understand that part. But they have a hard time describing it. Because when you read about it, it's pretty hard to describe, I think. Ceasefire text line 601 879 4395. My life is complete. There was a Contra reference on this show. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B A B A. Yeah. Some people say select start. I think just going to start worked. Yeah. Jeff and Grenada says Burning Man question mark. So, Burning Man, never heard of this. It's one of these. Festival deals, but they say that we know we're not a musical music festival. We're not just a party. Burning Man is a, a an an inclusive 
community that is like art festival, self-sustainable, leave no trace, radical individuality, radical inclusion. I'm not making this stuff up. It's what they say about themselves. It's like their mission statement. 60 to 70,000 people show up in the desert. Black Rock City, Nevada, about 125 miles from Reno. Borky, would you go to Burning Man? I probably would have, like, when I was in college, but now, no way. Uh, I, I hate people, too. I couldn't be around drugged-up, half-naked people in a desert. That, that would just give me anxiety. I don't like being around people in normal life. Couldn't imagine that. Um... All right, I'm going to give you a definition, and then I'm going to read this uh, this next text. Avant-garde, new and unusual or experimental ideas, especially in the arts or the people introducing them. Ceasefire text line. Burning Man is one of the most avant-garde things I've ever experienced. It also smelled worse than an offensive lineman's jockstrap. <laughs> It's nine days in the desert with basically no bathing unless you bring your own way to bathe. Derek in Greenwood. Burning Man equals real life fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Greg in Nettleton. Burning Man is hell on earth. You can die there. Yeah, somebody died there this week. You can die anywhere. You can die in your own home. Sure. Um. Anyway. I think my mailman might kill me. I could die in my neighborhood. Exactly. Your neighbors want to kill you. No, my neighbors like me. The mailman doesn't like me. Oh, Borky. Borky. I think you've you've gone too far. They, they called the cops on you because you were loud one day. Uh, well, hold, hold one... on a second. Hold, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Bad, bad joke for right now. Texas, over the weekend, guy co-opted a mail truck and was shooting people. Oh, I, I am not familiar i just i uh i yelled at my mailman today because he threw a package i watched him throw the package from my front yard onto my porch like a frisbee wow so i i was pulling up to the house well i went home to let the dogs out for lunch and just said hey can you not throw my packages please and he just put his hand up and drove off did he put his whole hand up or just one finger no it was not a finger he he you could tell in his face that i caught him you know what I mean? You know how people get when you catch them in the he act. He waved at you like Hugh Freeze from the press box. Basically, yeah. But he, th- he threw my package like a Frisbee under my front porch today. Was so it breakable? I, uh, it was a dog bowl, one of those special, like, slow-eating dog bowls. Oh, yeah. So, But we got a baby monitor yesterday, so it could have been the $100 baby monitor we just bought mm. that he was Frisbeeing up to my front porch. Tim says if it's worse than the infield at Talladega, I'm not going. You're not going. Tim, I think there are massive differences and also massive similarities between Burning Man and the infield at Talladega. Is that fair? I feel like there are bathing opportunities at Talladega, though. Changes the game a little bit. 
Uh, here's one. I now want to go to Burning Man again, but with Hey Dad, and dresses the dudes from Contra the whole time. Interestingly enough, that would be, based on what I read, 100% acceptable. <laughs> he got my attention. There's a hippie fest every couple of weeks out here. Burning Man, whatever they call it. It's a note for me when the words art are involved. <sighs> what would Mike Leach... Would, he would he would dress up as a pirate for the entire nine days, right? A scantily clad pirate? Or he wouldn't dress up at all. If you know what I mean. Yeah... Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. More coming up after this. Stay tuned. I need Back with you on this Tuesday afternoon. I like this question. Real question on the ceasefire text line. When will a game be held at Churchill Downs? I thought about this last night during the Louisville-Notre Dame game. I hate to say never, but I think the answer is never. And I think I, there are a couple of reasons that I think that that's the uh, the answer. Number one, Louisville had a stadium record crowd last night at their game against Notre Dame that very clearly had empty seats of a little bit over 58,000. So that's number one. Number two, I started looking at aerial photographs of Churchill Downs, and it's just not conducive. First of all, you'd have to tear down some of the stuff that's in the infield right now, but different from when they had the football game at Bristol, that, by the way, had terrible sight lines. Borky, I found a graphic a second ago that was showing, I think we talked about this a year ago. So from basically the closest, fit, the front row of the 50-yard line, to the sideline. So so if you had a front row 50-yard line seat, you were 75 yards from the closest sideline. If you sat in the top row of the upper deck, or at least just the top row of the stadium in the corner, from that seat at Bristol Motor Speedway to the opposite corner goal line was 315 yards. Yeah, I have a buddy that went to that game, a big Tennessee fan, and he and his wife drove up, and uh, he said you could barely see the video board that they put above the middle of the field. Like, you couldn't even watch the game on the big TV. The video board was massive, and yet you still could barely see it. Yeah. I love that novelty stuff, though. I wish we would see it more, and maybe people take it too seriously, but and it's probably not conceivable, but how cool would that be to do a football game there? Well, yeah, and, and I guess what I was getting at is if you're going to do one of those, you need it to be packed and insane. And I don't know if there's any way to do that. I mean, even if Kentucky and Louisville played, what could you do? 75,000 people? And that's a place where you're used to seeing 150, 160,000 for the Kentucky Derby. But more than anything, it's the layout. I mean, you got several hundred yards of grandstands that are not terribly deep. And then when you have the Kentucky Derby, all the infield is full as well. Well, the infield, you'd have to tear down some stables, rip up a couple of parking lots, 
or parking areas, put in a football field, and then you'd have to build stands like inside the track but on the grass on the opposite side. Otherwise, it would just be fans on one side. I don't think it would work there. Is there a place that comes to mind where you think it would work? In terms of horse tracks? No, just somewhere that is not a football or a baseball stadium where you could do something like that. Mm. Bristol's the only NASCAR NASCAR place you could do it. I mean, Talladega is just too stinking big. Yeah, same with like Daytona. I mean, Bristol's like racing in an oversized football stadium. Yeah. That's a really good question, Borky. Hit us up on the C Spire text line or on the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed at Sports Talk M-I-S-S. Where would be a non-traditional location that would be cool to watch a football game? Like, put a football field here. We've seen basketball courts on aircraft carriers. Uh, We've seen football fields stuck inside Wrigley Field, Fenway. Central Park. I thought about that, but I think you've got to build stands. Yeah. The the, the baseball stadium built on military bases. The non-traditional venue I would like to see happen is to see State and Ole Miss, or State and LSU, or Ole Miss and LSU for that matter, play a game in one of their football stadiums and see how many people could you get in there. A basketball game or a baseball game? I'm sorry, a baseball game in the football stadium. Well, here's one if you go back a ways, and and you may remember this, hey, Dad, from when you were younger. Borky, this was long before you ever came to Mississippi. There was an old baseball tournament called the Winn-Dixie Showdown. Yeah, yeah, they used to play in the Superdome. Before they remodeled the Superdome, they were able to configure it for baseball inside, and you would have LSU and a couple of other teams from Louisiana. And a lot of years it was Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Southern Miss. They would pick three teams from a state. And like Alabama, Auburn, UAB would go or whoever, right? And play those teams, and it was yeah, it was awesome. So what was it? It was at LSU and LSU Tulane, Tulane, LSU Tulane, and UNO back in the day. Okay, UNO was the third team. I got you. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever go to any of those? I did. I went to the one when State played LSU in front of about fifteen, sixteen thousand in there. Yeah, the crowds were massive for those games. Really cool setup. I don't think there's a way that you can configure the dome for that anymore. I think that I, that that possibility went away with the big renovation post-Katrina. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. College Football Fix is next. Just after 5 o'clock with you on this Tuesday. Sports Talk Mississippi, Richard Cross, Michael Borky. Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, glad to have you along. Sports Talk brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank Online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. And if you are a farmer in North Mississippi and you're not already using Mississippi Land Bank, you're not already doing business with them, then worth the phone call or worth the visit because they can help with equipment needs. They can help with the purchase of new property. Want to enlarge the size of uh, your existing farm. They can help there. 
maybe if equipment needs or what you uh, need a little help with, can help with the purchase of that or production loans. Mississippi Land Bank, MSLandBank.com, where they know the lay of the land. Um, it's time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Today is the final day of the Hurry Up and Save sales event. If you hurry right now, you might get to your local Mississippi Ford dealer before the savings go away. Up to 20% off MSRP on select year-end 2019 vehicles, including the F-150. Never fear, there is a new promotion on the horizon, and it is a good one, especially if you're a truck lover, uh, but your chance to save with the Hurry Up and sales, uh, Save sales event ends today. Borky, let's go back to the top 25. New coaches poll is out. We will start there. Clemson 1, Bama 2, Georgia 3, Oklahoma 4, Ohio State 5, LSU 6. So no change with the top six. You do have Auburn playing its way into the top ten, now at number ten. You have a top ten matchup in Austin on Saturday night with number six LSU and number nine Texas. Florida slides to the number 11 spot, which is where Oregon was ranked. They dropped down to 16. As far as SEC teams in the top 25, Bama 2, Georgia 3, LSU 6, Auburn 10, Florida 11, and that's it. So five teams in the top 11 and nobody else in the rest of the top 25. SEC's dead, right? You skipped A&M at 12. Yeah. Oh, I missed one. Sorry. Six of the top 12. What was that? Hey, Dad? I was going to say Texas A&M's not ranked. I, was, I, was, I found that no, surprising. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I just I skipped okay. over them. My bad. Yeah. No, you, and you had those takes. Of course you did. Dan Patrick even sarcastically talked about it today, the SEC being overrated. And if you look at the top half of the SEC, I would put that up against the rest of college football's top half combined, almost. Uh, just... Is there another league that has six teams that you would consider good? Just good. Yeah. It's just a t- the league is top heavy. It's not overrated. It's it's just top heavy. It's a very because good we, top. We just saw last Saturday the the presumptive Pac-12 uh champion lose to a team that we think will finish maybe fourth in the West. Uh and the same oh, thing Utah. happened last year. You forgot about Utah. Well, yeah, but I mean if you're telling me I got to pick Utah versus Auburn, Probably going to take Auburn. Hmm. That would be a fun game. I'd like to see that. You got me thinking on that one. But seriously, people do that, and I guess it's because they... Uh, they're so sick of the SEC being on top for so long. But, yeah, the league had a really bad weekend, and the middle to bottom of the SEC is is quite bad. But there's not another league in the country that has the lineup of Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Florida, Auburn, A&M at the top. There's not another league that has that. Not even close. What's it going to take for Mississippi State to get in the top 25? 4-0? At 4-0, they would be. And they might be in at 3-0. I mean, they're, they're 26th in the coaches poll that came out today. So getting two more wins and, and you know, 
the, somebody, the somebody's got to lose. The, the, somebody the top twenty five went twenty four and one last weekend, or somebody will have an unimpressive win, and it'll be enough for somebody to put, you know, Mississippi State in, that, that isn't currently ranking Mississippi State. They'll put them up in the poll. Yeah. Um. Wait, I thought Iowa State was in the top receiving vote spot. They may have been in the AP poll. The coaches poll had State. Okay, I got you. Fair enough. Uh, I don't think, I don't see anything else that's terribly interesting in the uh, in the poll right now. How about early lines for this week? Games involving SEC teams and some national games as well. Missouri is a fourteen point favorite at home against West Virginia. Seems a little high, but it feels high. Yeah, Kelso's Dukes. I mean, really pressed West Virginia for four quarters. Um, who? Our guy Kelso, Kelso. on the coast, the, the big James oh, yeah. Madison James fan Madison. that, that yeah, listens yeah. to us. Yeah. Did what you was ever the final preview them? Game? Did you get your Did you get your boat ride? Yeah, I think he missed it though. Oh no! How convenient for him. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear it. I'm not going to have a passenger in my Hurricane Hunter plane, Kelso. South Carolina is a 40 point favorite at home against Charleston Southern. Okay, that's a big number. Had to go offshore for that one. Purdue is a seven and a half point favorite at home against Vanderbilt. Already locked in Vanderbilt at plus seven on my little tracker app. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Mississippi State at home is a 17 point favorite against Southern Miss. Clemson is a 17 and a half point favorite over Texas A&M. Alabama is the number big enough, 54 and a half against New Mexico State. Georgia is a 49 point favorite against Murray State. Tennessee's a favorite at home against BYU, three and a half. Well, we'll Does see Tennessee how that bounce goes. back this week. I mean, if they don't, then you can just go ahead and start typing up your, you know, prove it getting fired columns. Is, no is BYU better than Georgia State? You would think so. You would think, yeah. That freshman quarterback's electric, and he took two BYU cheerleaders to prom. So, for whatever that's worth. Ole Miss is a touchdown favorite against Arkansas. Hmm. That's about right. Well, that's a tough game to handicap, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It just Arkansas was so unimpressive. I mean, I nothing. Like, how how they, bad is Arkansas that Ole Miss can lose in the fa- the fashion they did and still be a touchdown favorite? Ole Miss scored ten points against Memphis, and they are a touchdown favorite against another SEC team. Uh, SEC team, yeah. Jeez, Arkansas is really bad, guys. Uh, Auburn is an eighteen point favorite against Tulane. Tulane was pretty impressive in their opener. They're not going to lose that game, but would you be surprised if they mess around for a half or so? They can make it interesting for a few minutes, yeah. Yeah. Um, Florida, big favorite over UT Martin, 41 points. Yeah, well. That one's going to be a bloodbath. Half teams are going to win, half teams are going to lose. Kentucky is a 14.5 point favorite against Eastern Michigan. How does Eastern Michigan compare to Toledo? It's Kentucky beat Toledo by 14. 
it's another Mac opponent, right? I think I think Toledo is a better opponent than uh, in Eastern Michigan. Uh, LSU five and a half point favorite on the road against Texas. That number has moved, hasn't it? Two points since it came out. It was three and a half, at least the the book I looked at. How about Washington at home as a fourteen point favorite against Cal? Eastern was good. It's Eastern Washington. It's Eastern Washington, but. Uh, Eason threw one deep ball in particular that was one of the best passes you'll ever see. Like, 55 yards in the air, the the spiral was so perfect, the football didn't look like it was moving in the air. Receivers covered well, but right in the breadbasket. You just you saw the unbelievable talent that he has throwing the football. He's still a statue, but my goodness, if you can watch the highlights, yeah. go for it just for that throw. Jacob Eason is flick of the wrist guy. Yeah. You remember two years ago when he was starting at Georgia, there was a throw, was it at, uh, it wasn't against Florida. It was it was an SEC game, and Georgia was still trying to figure it out, but it was one of those throws where he just kind of turned and let it fly and threw it to the front corner of the end zone, and just, you, you can't throw it any better than that. A couple of Big Ten lines. Michigan at home, 22.5 point favorite against Army. Army won their opener, but it was 14 to 7. I'm trying to remember who they played in the opener. Rice, and they had both of their right. touchdown drives were over 90 yards and over 18 plays. Gracious. And Ohio State, 17 point favorite at home against Cincinnati. Both Ohio State and Michigan play at 11 o'clock. So um, you catch those on Saturday morning to uh, start your college football Saturday. Sports Talk Mississippi, that's your college football fix, driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. So we've got Texas A&M and Clemson at 2.30 on Saturday afternoon in, uh, in Death Valley, Clemson, South Carolina. And a little bulletin board material-ish. It's not over the top, but eh, you had it. Texas A&M offensive lineman Jared Hawker was asked about being an underdog and whether or not there was an opportunity ripe for an upset. The, The question and answer back and forth says he likes being an underdog quote, you always like having to uh, have, you always have something to prove. Reporter said, does that make Clemson ripe for an upset? Yes, it does. There will be an upset. Jimbo Fisher didn't love it. Meeting with reporters, he was asked about Hawker's comments and replied, who said that? When told that it was Jared Hawker, he said, well, Jared better play well. That's great that they have confidence, but that doesn't need to be said. There's nothing wrong with being confident. If you're not confident that you're going to be successful, yes. We understand the opponent, and that comes from respect for them. You have a great respect for them, but you also have to go compete. Anytime you line up to play, you expect to be successful. I'm glad they're confident, but what Jared said doesn't need to be said. After the first two hits of that game, uh, of the game, that stuff all goes away anyway. Is it bulletin board material? Does Clemson get just the 
extra oomph that they need because of what an offensive lineman said on Monday leading into this game? Probably put it up on the bulletin boards if they still have those in college locker rooms. But no, people act like this matters. Oh, he shouldn't have said that. Clemson's really going to be mad now. Shut up. (laughs) This is great for the game on top of bulletin board material not actually being a thing. I want some spice. It's a it's a 17-point line, whatever, but talk some smack. Be confident. Yeah, we're going to go in there and win on Saturday. I love that kind of stuff. Texas A&M pulling an upset at Clemson on Saturday. Good for college football. True or false? Oh, it would be great for college football. Because Clemson could still get find their way into the playoff probably as a 11-1, 12-1 ACC team. They wouldn't drop too far. But then all of a sudden, Texas A&M has a lot of cachet. Jim, Jimbo Fisher you know, has it becomes, you know, oh, he just turned that program around so quick, and they've got a chance. They play Alabama and they play Georgia. Could they be the team? You, know, you get a lot more storylines out of it. Hmm. And it, you know what they say about perception. That perception is reality. And right now the perception is college football has two teams that are unflappable that are on a collision course with each other for volume five, that would make, that would eliminate that narrative. And the perception would be, well, college football's open again. Well, there's parity again. We all know there's not because there's, what, six teams that can actually win a national championship this year. But knocking off one of these two that everybody thinks is unflappable would be great. It would generate... I think it would generate more of a national interest, casual interest into college football when you get rid of the inevitable. Let's play this scenario out for a second. Let's say that the current top four teams in the country, Clemson goes undefeated, Alabama goes undefeated with a win over Georgia in the SEC championship game. Georgia goes... They're undefeated going into the SEC championship game, so they're 12-1 and with their only loss, a relatively close loss to Alabama. And Oklahoma goes undefeated. So that Ohio State, that nobody else, that it's those four teams, even with Georgia losing in the SEC championship game, are the four teams that make up the playoff. Clemson, if they go undefeated, stays number one. An undefeated Alabama stays number two. I would assume. I don't think you would flip those two anywhere along the way if they both go undefeated. What would it matter if they did? Well, it would matter in your first-round opponent in the playoff. Oklahoma undefeated would go to three, and then Georgia would be four. In that scenario, you would have Clemson against Georgia in a playoff game and Alabama against Oklahoma. Jalen Hurts versus Tua. What what tremendous drama that would be. That'd be pretty pretty good, wouldn't it? I mean, even though it's the same four teams, is there anybody that wouldn't be excited to see those two matchups in the playoffs? Those matchups would be fantastic, and everybody, anybody who says, "Oh, you're lying," you'd watch every second of it. Ratings would be off the charts. Yeah, 
absolutely off the charts. Is that the most likely scenario for the playoffs? One game into the season, by the way. It probably is, but there, there's some wiggle room here and there. This might be a year where we get a serious talk about expansion. The, 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 the team that can upset the apple cart the most is LSU. Because if LSU beats Texas and then only loses to Alabama, and they're sitting there at 11-1 and with a loss to what would probably be the number at worst the number two team in the country, they have a legitimate gripe, especially against Georgia, who they wouldn't have played this year. Uh, okay, so let's play that scenario out. Hey, Dad. Alabama, undefeated. One loss LSU doesn't get to the SEC championship game. Georgia, undefeated, going into the championship game, but loses a close game to Alabama. Who gets the second spot from the SEC in the playoff? That's that's the, that's the question. That's the question. I mean, at that point, I mean, beating Texas is going to be a big deal for LSU. But then you know, Georgia would have the win over Notre Dame. Depends on what, it might depend on what Texas and Notre Dame do the rest of the season. Wouldn't it matter what Clemson did too. And then well, Ohio, well, if Alabama jumps to number one, they're not going to do number one four again a week after Georgia and them just Georgia and Alabama just played. Well, I mean, but they can always finagle that a little bit. And, oh, well, Georgia's third. Yeah, it's fine. If that is, is going to play out and two SEC teams get in, you need Oklahoma to lose. You need Ohio State or, or Michigan, whoever wins the Big Ten, to lose multiple games. You need Washington or Utah to not go undefeated. Yeah, well. Those all sound like things that will probably happen. Y- yes, but let's say you've got a one-loss Georgia a one-loss LSU. We're assuming for the conversation here that Clemson, Alabama, and Oklahoma are all undefeated. So you've got one-loss Georgia, one-loss LSU, one-loss Ohio State, one-loss Michigan. Does the Big Ten get two one-loss teams left out in favor of a second one-loss SEC team? Politics will not allow that to happen, in my opinion. (laughs) This could be fun. See, that's why I think this is the year. College football right now is set up for this to be the year where expansion becomes a reality. Because if you look at uh, the last five years of college football playoffs, there's not a single gripe about who won the national championship. You can talk about TCU not getting in, but uh, no, no. Uh, They got it right the last five years. This might be the year where they don't they, they can't get it right. It would be impossible. And then but haven't we played that scenario out 5 weeks into the season, 9 weeks into the season and it always seems to work itself out? Yes. And, so far, and, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you because we've had this exact same, you know, what if this happens? Oh, this could be the year. I think we've reached the point and I think there've been enough quotes that have come out from people that are influential in college athletics that we all kind of know expansion is coming. It's just not coming next year. And it's probably not coming the year after that. So we're going to play the regular championship game following the 2019 season, following the 20 season, and following the 21 season. So the next three years, that would take you eight years into the 12-year contract. 
And then I think following the 2022 season, we get to the 18 playoff. Because they've given us the lip service. Well, you, you can't undo it quickly enough. This year marks the halfway point. And they're going to say, well, you can't do it in one year. You probably could. But they're going to say, well, you, you, you've got to renegotiate TV contracts and you got to figure out bowl game stuff and all that. And so they're going to say they need an extra year. So I think we've got this year as is and the next two seasons as is. And then following the 2022 season, you get to an 18 playoff. The question for me, though, is what's the what's the format going to look like? Are you going to say top eight teams? See, I think your I, pitch I think is the only way to work. Your pit, the one that you talk about. The, the, the linchpin is you're going to have to allow conference champions in. You're going to have to guarantee a spot for each of the five Power Five conferences. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.